Brooks Cox, and who are you? Because you're not Kathy Campbell. Oh, I'm not. Oh, we're we're doing this. We're live. We're here. Oh, yeah. Everything that's in the show in the show. ABR. Mm-hmm. ABR. Always be recording. Mm-hmm. Pushing buttons to record my end locally. There we go. Oh, hi, Alex. Um, yeah, I'm Jay. Uh, longtime listener. Um, longtime person who spends a lot of time failing up on things. <laughs> Can a kindred fa- fail uh, uppers, but you have f- failed up uh, a lot higher. What do you do these days, Jay Miller? You've been a longtime Roboism correspondent as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, many a message sent of, about every episode that I listen to because I'm like... <gasps> You, you didn't talk about these 15 articles that do this other thing that would make the show extremely long. I know. <laughs> no, it's cool. It's cool. Um, yeah. So I am a senior cloud advocate at Microsoft. I specifically work on the Python team. So it is my job to keep keep the energy alive around Python developers as it pertains to Microsoft products. And most of my time, I I focus on the first half of that sentence. uh, And then the second half of the sentence is usually just a a happy coincidence. I just realized, and this is a completely other episode, but you could tell me that you were a snake charmer and that part of your job involved dealing with exotic reptiles. And I would have no way to prove you wrong. I would have no reason to think that you are wrong. That's how removed I am from from your advanced level of uh, programming, which I think is a good thing because you, as a developer advocate, also show people like me who don't understand your job the importance of it. And I've always really admired not just your job, but you, you as a person because of that. I mean, I think the the developer advocate or cloud advocate, as Microsoft has lovely, you know, they put some sparkle around the name. Um, I mean, that's a good way of putting it. But a lot of jobs, <laughs> my yeah. job title's a little sparkly. Like we're not developer advocates; we're cloud <laughs> advocates. Um, and then sometimes you'll hear community advocate. What you'll never hear from me is developer evangelist, because. Microsoft doesn't need to pay me to preach at people like that's that's not a I I don't I don't fit that mold very well. Um, But what I can do is is just be a part of the community and listen to what they're saying. And every once in a while, try to speak up and say, hey, you know, at Microsoft, we are working on this thing or, you know, we hope that developers see this and don't think of Steve Ballmer, you know, shouting (laughs) the name three times as if it was going to like summon Beetlejuice. But, you know, it's, there's, there's a lot of understanding the relationship and then kind of navigating it. But let's be clear, like I would be in the community. I mean, I was in the community for six, seven years before I officially started getting paid to do it. I mean, speaking of Microsoft, you're also developing a a project, well, many projects involving artificial 
intelligence, including co-pilot, and I don't know how much you can speak to any of that, but the reason you're here isn't just because Kathy is recovering from her amazing work on the podcast-a-thon for St. Jude... I always want to say St. Jude's, but no, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital and the fundraising Relay did for Children Cancer cancer awareness month but you were mentioning on the pre-show of your podcast conduit sort of uh, the intricacies of the complications around ai that everyone's talking about especially sort of me in the last episode artificial intelligence as well as ambient and spatial computing and you sounded pretty excited and like you had a lot of interesting ideas because you have read the many articles that I always have in show notes and then never get to <laughs> I mean okay so I guess before we before we get started I want to go hi um yes as a Microsoft employee um our company is doing a lot of things with AI I I don't know what all of them are don't take anything I say as a reason for you to to do anything with your stock. Um, also, to the Microsoft lawyers, uh, everything that I say, I say on my own behalf and not on the behalf of the company in any official way. Uh, now that that's out of the way. I wasn't um... even thinking of that. I was thinking <laughs> that I have Bing and Microsoft Edge on my phone already and that you you are not <laughs> influencing me. But that is, that's the amount of, uh, you know, cognitive dissonance I have between the the real dangers of corporate artificial intelligence and Bing on my phone. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Also, if, if some AI thing is listening to this later, don't worry, I'm not going to threaten you in any way, shape or form. Uh, please don't come after me. No, it's fine. I don't I don't think it does that yet. But it's it, I don't think it's that serious. Um, I really don't think it's that serious. I do a lot of that jokingly, but I also do kind of want to set expectations of I I don't have any secrets outside of like the stuff that y'all read. I find out about stuff that we're doing the same way that y'all do listening to, to nerd podcasts. And I'm like, wait, we're doing what now? And then I have opinions. But but yeah, like one of the things that I do think AI will be able to do is kind of what a lot of the videos that I make around AI is, which is um, GitHub Copilot, a company owned by Microsoft GitHub. They have this AI code helping tool. And the thing about it is... First of all, though, what is GitHub before we get into what is a oh, GitHub Copilot? Um, ooh, how would I explain GitHub to someone that doesn't use GitHub? Um, I GitHub. use GitHub and I don't know how to explain it to someone. <laughs> well, that's that's what most most people who have to learn Git don't know how to use Git. And I am one of them. I, I just do whatever VS Code tells me and then I try to rebase something and then I delete the entire project and start over. Um, <laughs> He's there. <so. laughs> yeah, like it's... <laughs> professional developers have the same problems it's it's just we get paid to try to actually learn how to fix them and still don't manage to um github is i like to think of it as a public library for code 
in many cases, all the code that you see on GitHub is visible. Like anyone can see it. Anybody can take a look at it. Anyone can read it. The only difference is maybe you also have the ability to write books and add it to said code library, and you can contribute to other people's code. And I'm going to stop using the library reference because I'll get lost in it somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so you are able to, you know, build projects share those projects openly and allow people to either utilize those projects, contribute to those projects, help identify bugs and issues and request features and everything is done in the open. So everything can be seen. Um, and this is probably where one of the first big sticking points came into with the project that is GitHub Copilot, which was this tool that was designed to be your AI coding assistant um, or your AI coding junior developer or your AI coding, you know, person that knows just enough code to, to put it on the, the page and, you know, cross your fingers and hope it works. A lot of the training was done based on all of that code that was there. Um, you know, looking at all of that stuff that was available and, you know, there's a lot of good and bad code <laughs> inside yes. of yes. that. And, and I mean, even to the point where people were like, you know, I could type in API keys and people would put in things that you should not ever be putting into your code or, hey, help me build projects that, you know, quite frankly, aren't necessarily all that ethical. And, and it's because AI isn't, uh, I know this is roboism, but AI isn't a robot. AI doesn't think AI generates based on a lot of data, the mathematically next best piece of content to go after the, the content that was generated before it. And I think that a lot of that is based on pattern recognition. A lot of that is based on repetition. So if it sees a bunch of people doing the wrong thing, which is where usually the internet's just proclivity to do the wrong thing um, shines, <laughs> then it will likely want to echo the wrong thing versus, you know, you put a lot of the right things in and it wants to echo the right things. And, you know, some of the, the people that, that build these tools and these systems have to think about that. I mean, what I've seen of Copilot is similar to what I've seen of certain versions of uh, chat gpt and llama fa facebook's i love yeah. the name fa facebook's open source llm that so much of our at least western narrative around artificial intelligence is apocalyptic and uh, hyperbolic and uh, straight up wrong, like you said, you know, talking about them as thinking machines. So it yeah. sort of feeds into that over and over. And I can only imagine that Copilot has a lot of almost, uh, are there like sort of coding tropes that it sort of gets wrong or not get, oh, yeah. G-E-T is wrong? My, my favorite, give me, give me an example with three people in it and usually the the people will be John Doe, Jane Doe, and Brad Smith. And it's like, okay, cool. Two very common things. And then, like, no offense to, to Brad Smith, who I think is actually, like, an executive vice president at Microsoft or something, but, like, a very, very, very historically Caucasian name. Like, it is... 
it is one of these things that like it it feeds into what it what it sees and this is where um, you know, we're, we're talking about like monitoring. Sometimes if you try to tell chat GPT or one of these tools to do something that isn't necessarily uh, nice, um, or in my case, hey, create a, a multi-level marketing scheme that would trick chat GPT. Um, it did not like that question at all. Uh, <laughs> but the, like the people that are checking for these things are usually not the people that uh, would be the most impacted by it. And I think that's just something that historically has been the case with technology. I mean, if we look historically at the number of times innocent people who just happen to be black or black women specifically were misidentified in facial recognition things that led to people's arrests. Yes. Like wrongfully, mm -hmm. wrongful convictions. Um, I mean, these are the same pattern matching tools dialed up to like, a million where you're just feeding it more data, more information, more processes, and then you're sharing the knowledge that it has gained from learning, quote unquote, I can't do gener audio generated quotation marks there <laughs> um, strong enough, but the things that it's it's learned, it then tries to replicate. I mean, it is literally a, you know, it's almost like a child saying, I have watched what my parents do and then now I try to do it. And as a parent, I know how dangerous that is because mm -hmm. I often yeah. say or do something dumb. And then I see my daughter trying to do or say something dumb. <laughs> uh, even, uh, oh gosh, almost a decade ago in the first like beta version of roboism, Savannah Million and I were talking about the very first Google recognition services that were uh, identifying black people as gorillas. And at the time, it's yeah. not that it was funny, but it was like, oh, God, this really sucks. We really need to cha change it. And what becomes increasingly frustrating and uh, and scary is that yes those things may have changed but the stakes have gotten so much higher like you said and i mean the other day while you were recording in the chat i think i said like i no longer really have any morals I, I don't I have no more complicated feelings about artificial intelligence but I continue and increasingly have more concerns and conflicted feelings about the people who create manage uh, and not not just manage control and use those tools in technology especially AI I'm, I'm just going to say this if you happen to open not to say that I did this, but if you open up PowerPoint, the latest version of PowerPoint Office 365, you go to pictures and you go to insert picture, you know, from online and you type in black people and check the Creative Commons button. Oh. You get a very disturbing picture of someone who is very much in blackface. Oh. And it's it's like it's. I understand what's happening. Like, I, I understand how you got to that point. Um, however, like, 
there are so many things that you just can't do. Like if you go to stock images and you type in gorilla, it's there. You type in black gorilla, you get nothing. If you put in black people, you get nothing. And it's not that they don't exist. It's just companies have had to protect their capitalistic side. Mm-hmm. By saying it's just better if we don't actually. And the funniest thing below that is if you, um, yeah, below that very disgusting picture of someone in blackface, you have uh, a painting of what looks to be a slavery piece um, oh, by an unknown historical. author in oh. Creative Commons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, again, so it's it's I'm not here to say that, you know, AI is bad and i think that's the thing that you know a lot of folks they try to they try to pigeonhole the idea of like ai is good ai is bad to me ai is what you can make of it and the thing that we've learned is that it's actually relatively good the more information you have um which is kind of where you know you're talking about conduit that was kind of the point that that i was trying to lead to i guess was there is this new job out called prompt engineering. It is it is quite literally, hey, you remember when being good at Google searches was enough to keep you employed? Yeah. Like, imagine mm-hmm. if that was your job, but like with AI. So yeah. just understanding how to convince the AI system to give you exactly what you want and understanding that there is a language that AI speaks, that you know, Chat GPT speaks, and there are things that you can give it, and there are things that you can give it outside of going to the website or outside of going through some extension. Like there's a programming language that you can use to talk to this system and give it certain parameters that help guide it to the right answer. And if that was like that is a job. And what we've learned from that is that the best way to utilize AI is to have all of the knowledge and capability of processing this data for yourself, but being too lazy to do it. Can you give me an example of that in terms of real world prompt engineering? Or have you not even come across anyone who has gone above that laziness? I think I have. I mean, and even with like my coding projects, if if I've written 2000 lines of code inside of a project and then I want, you know, GitHub Copilot to write the next five, it'll do a really good job of getting those next five. But that's because it has 2000 lines to already work off of. If I give it nothing and I say, create the 2005 lines of code, it's, it's just going to, it's going to stumble over itself. Mm-hmm. And and that's why, I mean, Microsoft does brand these as co-pilots for a reason. They are not designed to be the thing that makes the whole thing. They're designed to be the thing that helps people create the things that they want to create. Um, but usually the more, the more knowledge you have on it, the, and the more information you can give it, then the more likely it will be to match your expectations. And... Uh, that's that's where that conduit conversation, which, by the way, for folks who wanted to hear what I was actually talking about in that conversation, um, become a member at Relay FM Switch On, um, specifically <laughs> for supporting Conduit, and you get access to that that whole 
that whole like conversation there. Um, but, but in it, I guess to summarize, I, I kind of pointed that out and I said, you know, the people who are going to make the most of AI aren't necessarily the people who know how to do really good Google searches. They're the people that already know how to do the thing and then use AI to do the thing faster because they know what they know what the right answer looks like. They just don't want to type it. Like for me, a good example, I have rheumatoid arthritis. Sometimes it hurts to, to walk to my office. Sometimes it hurts to type. Mm-hmm. But I have a large collection of, of things that I've typed before. So if I can use that to let, you know, GitHub Copilot type the next things for me, great. The more of that I have, which is why I like building things for no purpose other than I want them to exist in the world. But the more of those things that I have, the more that I can specialize my skill in generating code that I know how to write without actually typing it. And eventually that comes to a head though, because just like artisans in, you know, I, I love Japanese culture and like, I love a lot of the like handmade Japanese things, handmade paper, handmade boots, handmade clothing. Like there's a lot of care and like consideration that is taken into the fact some of the largest grapes in the world are made in like Japan. And it's because they meticulously have documented the entire process down to a science once it's there, you don't really need the AI anymore. And, huh, I had not thought about, well, one, I didn't know that Japan had the biggest grapes in the world. That's just cool on its own. But, I mean, two, is that sort of thing kind of this, this almost, I think it's started to be called bespoke software or bespoke programming do you think ai is going to, it, it is becoming sort of an, a hindrance to, to that because my whole enthusiasm for this and concern sure yes the people like me who don't know what they're doing and uh, not even in terms of coding, but just in terms of creating things. I am far less experienced and, you know, it might not be out of uh, laziness, but ignorance and uh, trying to understand something like code or whatever. But that ignorance, instead of... uh, you know, instead of gaining the knowledge to make those things to exist in the world, just because I want different and new, uh, and again, like, is it quotes, new things to exist in the world? (sighs) Is it almost going to make I, I, I don't know, that body of work less valuable? Since I I don't have that type of coder's mind. I have tried many times to program, to create apps and and stuff like that. And while, you know, I'm I'm one of the people who's great at Googling things and I am uh, somewhat, I I am good at computer and uh, good at finding things on the internet. And I want, like you said, like these things to exist in the world. Maybe not even purely out of 
that altruist, altruistic sense, but I just want things to exist made by people who think not just differently uh, than I would, but how the tr people who built the internet in general do. D does that make sense? Like the past, not, and not the past, but, but since the beginning of computing, most of it has been designed and controlled by people who have a similar mindset. And that's changing. Like, that's changing a lot right now, but, it, you know, it's fighting against decades, if not like a hundred years of a certain way of thinking and making. And I don't know if AI will be, I, I hope AI isn't a hindrance to that, but it sounds like not necessarily co-pilot, but other, like, do, do you, th I guess I'm just, this is a really long-winded way of asking if you think that can be a hindrance to the creation of a more or less contrary work or progressive types of work in the terms of computing and technological creating and stuff like that. Like, I'm not even getting into the whole artistic <laughs> aspect of that. That That is Kathy's domain. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you seen the... Um the bill words youtube video history of the entire world i guess no is that uh, the, it, it sounds familiar but what what is it I, f I feel like it's right up your alley in terms of you of, of just d dovetailing into youtube videos um the the whole interesting piece of this uh, and the reason i i commented on history of the entire world is there there are a couple of points in there where they go Oh, you could make a lot of money on that, or you could, you could you could do a lot with that, or something like that, something to that effect. And I feel like that's kind of what's going to happen in in our current technological boom. Um, we learned really quickly that you know if you use if you use machines to manufacture things in a certain way, you can make a lot of them. And someone said you're going to make a lot of money off of this. And then what they realized was, hey, we could hire seven-year-olds to do this. And all they have to do is pull these levers. Mm -hmm. and, and then someone realized, oh, wait, by the time they're 30, they're dead because, you know, they've been breathing in exhaust fumes. And, you know, it, it's probably better that we should wait until they're, they're you know, 18 and let them make those decisions for themselves. <laughs> And and then at that point, it's like, okay, well, now we just have 18-year-olds flipping the levers. And mm -hmm. then someone said, oh, what if we did something slightly better? And then someone goes, you can make a lot of money off of that. And then the, the process just repeated until now we're here with the internet and AI. And what we're getting currently is what I like to call the, the, the thrift store of the internet and internet business. You're getting a bunch of ideas that people brought in and said, what if I could just do this? What if I could just stick this together? It's the Facebook marketplace uh, of, <laughs> of just AI-driven ideas. And what's going to happen is a few people are going to have some really good products and really good ideas. And people are going to see that and they're going to make 17 different versions of it. And then what's going to happen is the people who 
utilize one of those 17 different versions will say these are all the same they're void of any human personality i can't wait to see someone meticulously take their time with this we saw this with email apps what's the one everyone loves now mindstream right mindstream yeah, was mm -hmm. someone who knew a lot about building email applications they saw a lot of people getting rich off of email applications and said, I have a lot of very well-educated opinions on this, and I'm going to take my time with it, and I'm going to build a thing that, that people can resonate with because I've, I've watched and listened to all of these people complaining about these problems. Mm -hmm. And right. that's the part of AI that that doesn't I, I think doesn't really work yet. And and I'm going to do one one last video reference for you. Um, I believe you're a fan of Studio Ghibli, correct? Oh, heck yes. Indeed. OK, cool. Um, there's a video by uh, Demi Lee who uh, did a really good piece on why Studio Ghibli movies can't be made with AI. Yes. <laughs> and the whole mindset behind it is very much of um, Miyazaki does a lot to play with things like shadow and to play with people's emotions with silence and with nothingness. And there are so many scenes. The scene from Kiki's Delivery Service when she's traveling into the city is one that just like pops out in my head of just like, this is a moment where everyone in the audience just has time with the character to let things sink in. Mm -hmm. And and Ghibli does that so well. And it's it's based on, there's like, there's a book that she mentions in there that talks about the Japanese study of shadow. Like, whereas the majority of people want, especially in, you know, Western European, American mindsets, we want everything to be bright. We want to have no shadow in anything we do. We want to see every single piece of it. Japanese culture, there was a there's a thing where they talked about like electricity came to the game late for them. So a lot of houses and things were designed to to emphasize light where it existed and to celebrate the darkness where it existed. Mm -hmm. So so using the darkness to make the things that are in the light better than what they were and these are these are just concepts that because the majority of people don't do this something that's trained on how do i operate to the satisfaction of the majority will struggle to pick up and and this is why ghibli movies stand out like nobody makes ghibli movies like like they do like no mm -hmm. one makes anything that makes you feel or have emotions like that and these are all hand-drawn movies these are these are all things that like human beings interact with this at such a high level that it's just like i can't even begin to think about all of the different thought processes processes that go into that and that's what happens in a lot of things where people go into the artisan level of things where it's like, I built these shoes and these shoes are made of this particular leather because, you know, some yak that lives at 32,000 feet, you know, above sea level only gets this much rain. Therefore, their leather is, you know, genetically predisposed, predisposed to, to have this effect in sunlight or something like that. I mean, I'm just making something up here, but like the, the thing that coffee snobs love, the thing that, you know, 
wine sommeliers enjoy. Like, sure, you can replicate those, but the the individual feelings that you get from them, the things, the ways that you can tie those into people's historical background, people's culture, and and really drive it in and be so versatile with it is what makes those a premium model. But that also is what's going to lead to their downfall because it's just too expensive. I, I still think it, it continues to be made, even if it's not the same type of person, but the same people who have a similar background. I mean, fa- famously, Miyazaki's, <laughs> one of his sons I'm sure you know this, but one of his sons is, I don't want to say a good filmmaker, but is what Miyazaki Sr. himself sees as someone who can replicate his style and emotion. Whereas Mm -hmm. another one of his sons uh, isn't like outcast, but has just a different way of seeing the, not, not the world, but animation and so what he has made is this very interesting uh, theme park that's unlike anything else and uh, Cantor doesn't like to make the type of animation that his brother and father do and I that's I guess the kind of uh, poor analogy that I am trying to make is, is that I hope or want folks to start to learn about that tech yak on the mountain living at 30,000 feet, but also, you know, finding the other yaks and, and like, oh, oh, that look at this cool goat. But it's so difficult to get there without those resources, uh, as in, you know, the tech resources, whether it be, you know, money or a, a darn fast hard drive or or whatever. Like, I, I guess I just want more folks like you, developers who and, and advocates for developers to get different people into creating these models th- themselves, because otherwise... You know, even though everything is a remix, we're going to continue this sort of cycle of uh, nothing against Disney. Something is against Marvel, although I know we both have lots a very... Lots of things against Disney yeah, lots on of the things, record. Yeah, yes, lots of things against Disney, lots of things against Marvel, but also soft spots for them. I mean, what... I understand you've said what you use Copilot for, but what do you think folks who are divorced from this world of, uh, you know, uh, Central European and and especially by Western tech, I mean, in a small area of America, Silicon Valley, like how do we break out of that mold of thinking when there are these other tools moving so fast that it's not just that people can't keep up, but they don't even know that some of these tools exist. And the there's this constant narrative of only the negative things about artificial intelligence, like let alone 
all of the other problematic and, and scary sorts of stuff that's coming with the progress of AI and machine learning and, you know, a lot of things that make me excited but are so hard to understand. And again, that word, access. Like, are we just going to lose the uh, digital Miyazaki? <laughs> what a sort of contradictory thing. The digital Miyazaki. We, we know who that is. Uh, they go by the name of Brett Terpstra. Like. That, that's, that's the problem. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that if Brett heard that, actually, I'm going to text him that later. Like, you, you've you officially been dubbed the, the digital, <laughs> digital Miyazaki. Miyazaki. <laughs> <laughs> But. Yeah, how how do we how do we keep on seeing and using things like um you know NVLT and a, a bunch and and drafts or Mac but Mac apps and get into the terminal rather than using Google Docs and uh, writing I, like I'm not even concerned about the immediate issues of like re- replying to an email it's like come on we all use text expander and like oh yeah or do our rote <laughs> email like just copy and paste the same email a million times like i'm i'm much more concerned about you know losing the terpstras i so again i think the big focus on this is a lot of these are great as tools a lot of these do not replace years of experience years of multicultural experience I think the thing that makes, and Brett's relatively open about this, our, our digital Miyazaki, um, you know, he spends most of his time podcasting about mental health. Yes. Not about mm-hmm. the technology that he makes. And sometimes it's the the combination of technology and mental health, and sometimes how mental health sp- inspires new technology. See his latest app journal that he's yep. made. That's mind-blowingly both complex and useful. It's beautiful. It's beautifully complex. And and to me, that's that's the thing is like no no one's out here saying you have to write all of your code in in like a a digital like a or not even digital an analog notebook and then figure it out and try to figure out how to do hole punching and, and assembly. Like use these tools as just that tools. Learn how to use co-pilots to help you create things. To me, the thing that takes it a step too far is when someone says, we're going to skip the learning process and we're just going to jump ahead using this tool. Um, There have been a couple of AI tools or AI in the name of AI tools that have said, hey, we can make you look more professional in your LinkedIn profile photo, which <laughs> oh, hyper, I forgot about that. Oh. hyperly <laughs> over over um, objectified a, a black woman's sexual appeal. Um, <sighs> it increased her cleavage, increased oh, her bust God. size, turned a, a person of Asian descent completely white. Changed eye color, opened eyelids, changed hairstyle, rounded, you know, jawline, did so many things that were just absolutely gross. And the reason that happens is the 
the overcapitalism of it, because you know this is about robots and isms. Um, yes, the... Ro- Roboism, the famously ca- capitalist show <laughs> of Relay <laughs> FM Switch On. Yeah. yeah, you know the the promise that if I make this product before anybody has vetted it, before anybody has evaluated the ethical like merit of this product investors are already lined up at the door because they <laughs> want to jump in on the wave. They, they want, they've heard you can make a lot of money off of this. And, and I will, I will give, I mean, they pay me to also give them credit. So I will give them some credit. Microsoft does have a responsible AI model that talks about if you're going to use our platform and do these things with it, like here are things that you shouldn't be doing now. Do people follow that? I, I can't answer that. Do people have to use Azure OpenAI service? No. At this point, no. They're, they have other options. Mm-hmm. Microsoft has said, we want you to do the most ethical thing. I, I can't tell you why that decision was made. I, I would hope to believe that it, because it was you know a good decision to make. I would hope so. I, but I'm not naive. I understand that there are legal and, and you know consequences to someone doing something terrible with your technology. So to me, it is use these AI tools in a way to heighten your existing experience. Use these AI tools to gain knowledge in new territories. And, and more importantly, use these AI tools the same day, way that we've been promising for technology to be. I, I knew that we were doing this call. So I did something that I never do ever. I did homework. I tried to look and see if the promises of moving West Virginia less and less off of, like more and more off of coal has really generated a higher income for the the people in West Virginia. And I'm not going to tell you... I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think the answer is? I don't want to think. About, I mean, that's that's part of the problem. Here, as I sit in Chicago, I don't want to think about that, which is not great. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm assuming that it didn't uh, succeed in the same way that I worry about Apple's new 2030 initiative that they didn't announce but uh, promote by d- dubbing. Uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Um, um, uh, Octavia gosh, Spencer. Darna, thank you, Octavia Spencer, as Mother Nature. So again, doing oh. what's the? the t- I've already of, gone like, off on one. that enough. Oh God, I I mean, like if someone like me who was like, wait a second, wait a second, then I mean, holy crap! Oh, mm. like t- using a black woman to tokenize the le- the literal leader of nature like ah, i i would like to think that (laughs) why not just use lisa jackson the literal leader of the company i don't i'm I'm sorry i (laughs) just like really what so jay can i make the correct assumption that uh the west virginia project didn't go well I, I genuinely can couldn't come up with a good answer because the way that data is culminated. But what I almost can, by design, you might say. Yeah, but what I can tell you is outside, like in the the fifty 
states that we consider the United States, so excluding Puerto Rico and some of our other areas, West Virginia is the second poorest state per capita per household mm-hmm. in the in the union. Um, also, as of twenty twenty one, there was only twenty percent of their citizens have college degrees. So imagine wanting to create all these wonderful opportunities and and new jobs in tech, but requiring college degrees to do so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's again, it's good initiative. <laughs> you know, hey, we want you to do these things. We want you to revolutionize how people think. We want you to expand your ability and access to income by moving into multiple technological spaces. However, you didn't address the initial problem of that people can't afford to go to college. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they don't go to college. And therefore, they can't get these jobs because the first thing that you put on the, the job requirement is a four-year degree. Yep. Yeah. I am so guilty of this myself because of my excitement around Vision OS as seen everywhere that I am on on the internet. But I I keep doing the asterisk of, well, I will not be able to afford any of the hardware that this software runs for years, probably. And uh, Kathy's like, well, yeah, that's why I just can't get excited about it. And it's breaking my heart into two, like every day. And, you know, to give... Microsoft credit as well I believe they still employ Jaron Lanier to just be Jaron Lanier the founder of VR and one of I've, I've pulled up my one of my favorite quotes from him and he is talking about the early like early access to the webs and hackers versus uh, crackers and white hats versus black hats. <laughs> Very unfortunate t- terms. But he says, like cowboys, hackers supposedly experienced freedom in a wild land that yielded only to our special prowess and expertise. We roamed as we pleased, inevitably reality for everyone else. Or I'm Wow, I'm sorry. In... We roamed as we pleased, inventing reality for everyone else. Normal people would wait helplessly as we blazed their new world. What surprised me over the next few decades in that all those alien, quote, normal people all over the globe chose to buy into our myth. You let us reinvent your world. I'm still curious why. And that's my favorite quote not necessarily even because it is I don't know if it's true. I don't know how much the world and he he does literally put normal in quotes how much we let that happen. I think that a lot of people were brought into this world maybe not kicking and screaming but without you know, forget about the enthusiasm, but uh, like you said, even the material resources to get access to the world that all of these uh, initial hackers, like way back in the 80s, not even, you know, the Zuckerbergs, like 
I'm I'm talking like early Atari people. So I don't know what the answer is other more than uh, other than more Jays and Brett Terpstra's. I, I guess because you know e- even the other Jays and Brett Terpstra's don't ha- necessarily have the like the the foresight and wisdom that you already have around the difficulties of this and i i i want to in the great tradition of uh, (laughs) all of the people i talk to on this podcast continue to just want and hope for more and more of your insights on how to get these resources and i don't know and hopefully excitement around technology to folks especially because on the left tech is villainized so much and uh, luckily the term luddite has been uh, pulled back and is slowly being you know the story of luddism is being retold by a lot of people especially Brian Merchant around, no, it's not that the Luddites hated tech. They hated that these, you know, sewing machines were being brought in same way AI is being brought in to do a job, a very technical, technical, important job and just being, you know, steamrolling it. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I want more Luddites, but how do you do this bespoke software before you can, before you have enough food to eat? That was a yeah. long ass ramble, long butt <laughs> ramble. <laughs> no, that I, I think that that last question is the important one. Um, so I'm going to shamelessly plug something that I do that most people that are listening to this will not have access to. Um, I run a community online called Black Python Devs. I'm sure you could guess what it is. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? It could be a bunch of snake charmers. I don't know. It could play yeah. into the, a voodoo stereotype about black oh, people. Oh, jeez, So I don't know why I even brought that up. But again, I don't know what Python... Please, tell us about the Black Python developer community. So yes, uh, Black Python Devs is an online-first community that is global, that is a space designed for black developers or developers who identify as black who also use the programming language python um for them to to connect with one another to see each other um i talked about this uh in a couple of places i went to the largest gathering of other python developers in the world pycon us um it was in salt lake city there's a lot of questions there. Yeah, um, I, I shut my mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went there last year. There were 14 black people in a sea of 2,000 people, roughly. Ooh. 14, I counted. Oh <laughs> I talked to every single one of them. Oh my this year, God. there were 30. Like... I want to say it's, yay, but... Uh. Yeah, exactly. well, that's the thing. But the, the thing that, that raised that number from 14 to 30 was literally a group of Brazilian women who said, I want to go to this event. I don't feel safe traveling alone. Can people come with me? And someone said, yeah, 
there's actually grant programs that we can use so that everybody can go and it's it's a discounted ticket for them to travel across the world to do this and they showed up in numbers and and then the same thing happened in parts of Africa and the same thing well the the same thing didn't happen in the, in the United States and I was very confused about how people could come from Kenya, Nigeria and and Brazil but couldn't come from Texas, DC, Atlanta and New York and so this was designed to be the global meeting place and spreading of information around the Python community for black individuals. And we have everything from college students who are just learning how to code for the first time up to chief technology officers who have, you know, been in the industry for years that I've never heard of these people until today. And it's like, how have I never heard of who you are? And it's because they've had to spend 30 years with their head down, not making a lot of noise, kind of mm-hmm. just sitting in the background, not sharing information, not sharing resources, not being able to be the digital Miyazaki's. So now we're creating a space for that. Um, I hope that more people will create spaces for that. Maybe not necessarily for Black Python developers. I hope we, we've got that niche covered, but for artisans who like sculpting but also like programming for people who like 3d printing but also like knitting for people who can have passion for the things that they're creating with the assistance of these ai tools not the other way around i think the worst thing that someone can do is say hey i'm not in the community but i'm going to use ai to exploit and commercialize a community versus someone saying, I'm from the community, I understand its needs, and I can utilize these tools to help, not to take advantage of. Jay, thank you so much for coming on Roboism. It is always not just a pleasure, but an inspiring conversation. And uh, I want to, again, point folks to your work so other than black python devs where can people find you and also where can people give you money to keep making noise about this and uh, i won't use the word evangelize but keep no. uh, it's such a dirty word to keep you doing your work um well if i will say that if you if you have money um first give it to people who need it um, I work for Microsoft. I'm fine. Um, not that's that's not a, a flex. It's a there are a lot of people that need help, and if you had to choose between me or someone else, that all needs right, it, chicken chicken problem it. aside, yeah, someone's yeah, yeah, yeah. given all of if, their if, money. If, if to- you want to hear me, <laughs> if you want to hear me ramble more about stuff, um, I do a show with uh, the other host of this show, Kathy Campbell, called Conduit. Um, we don't necessarily talk about this stuff as much. We, we talk about productivity and kind of the problems with, uh, what happens when you think about it too much Mm -hmm. and what happens when you listen to people who don't know your life, don't know how you operate, how you operate and don't know anything about you try to dictate how you can do it. So instead we let you tell us how you do it and we celebrate those moments. But if you want to support my, my tech stuff, 
Um, you can sponsor me on GitHub. I am building a static site generator. I'm also building things because they don't really scale well, but I want them to exist in the world. And yeah, every once in a while, I'll write about it on my website, which is kjmiller.com. And that's also where you can find links to where I'm at on social media. So yeah, all that stuff. All right. You want to do the sign off? Absolutely. All right. I'm Alex Cox. And I'm Jay Miller. And this has been Roboism. Thank you for Optimistic. I know.